Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching, and may the Lord richly bless you. Stand with me and let's look at the, uh, the uh, scripture for this morning, which has been our text for the last several weeks. Uh, we're going to continue in the same thread of last week, focusing on proclamation by God's grace. Next Sunday, uh, we'll finish, finish out this particular series. But Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 4, one, vo- one verse of scripture, Isaiah chapter 12 and verse and in that day you will say give thanks to the Lord call on his name make known his deeds among the peoples and make them remember that his name is exalted Heavenly Father we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to gather together Lord to worship you freely this morning to lift up our voices in praise, Father, to pray for one another, to fellowship with one another, to welcome children, to encourage them, to be a part of the Word, Lord. Father, we thank you for the opportunities that we have. And God, we pray that we would not take them for granted. And Lord, over these next few moments, I pray that you would speak to us from your Word that you would help us to know and understand what it would be that the Spirit would speak to us, that we would be faithful uh, to walk it out for your glory. And we thank you for these things. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. And you may be seated this morning. Amen. So just a, a bit of a, of a recap of what is happening here in uh, the book of Isaiah and where this uh, particular passage is found. It's kind of at a, uh, not central to the book, but in some ways central to the message that prior uh, to this particular passage, uh, there is kind of this understanding that Israel is away from God, they're uh, they're not following after the Lord. They're following after uh, the uh, pagan gods. They're uh, searching after the pagan things, and that's where they find themselves. And so they've been exiled, and God is saying to them that, uh, that there will come a time when a remnant, uh, the righteous remnant, will be restored. And so this particular passage is kind of part of the prophetic word that is being spoken to the righteous remnant who are currently in exile to say there will come a time in a day to come where you will say give thanks to the Lord and call on his name and make known his deeds among the people and make them remember that he is exalted. That day to come when you will say that will be when you uh, enter in, when the righteous remnant enters into the restoration that God has for them. In fact, uh, this this passage is part of, if you read uh, the entirety of verse 12, or essentially the entirety of verse 12, or chapter 12, 
is a hymn of praise uh, unto the Lord, a song that the righteous remnant will sing as they enter into the place of promise. And so prior to today, in the beginning of uh, this uh, series, what we discussed and what we talked about was that you and I are actually a part of a righteous remnant in our day, that we exist in the tension of God having redeemed our soul or or transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, that we're already in that promise that God has for us, but we have yet to fully realize all the benefits of that which will come in the day in which we step into His presence, that we are inheritors of many of the promises in the here and now, particularly the freedom from sin, particularly no more guilt and condemnation, particularly peace from God. But there is coming a day uh, in which the Lord will return, that we will enter into His presence and experience the abundance of what He has for us. So I believe that even though we may not have stepped into the glorious Uh, presence of the Lord in the way in which we anticipate toward the end of days, that even in this moment where we are already uh, redeemed, where we're already part of the kingdom of God, but not yet fully experiencing all that God has for us, even in this day, uh, we can say, give thanks to the Lord and call on his name, make known his deeds among the people and make them remember that his name is exalted because we have experienced the goodness of the Lord. We have experienced the grace of the Lord. If you have been saved, God has worked in your heart and God has uh, transformed our lives. Each one of us who had named the name of Jesus Christ have a testimony to tell of what it was like in the kingdom of darkness and now what it's like in the kingdom of his glorious light. How once we had to bear our iniquity and sin and now we bear it no longer. But the Lord himself bore it upon the cross of Calvary. We've worked through the first few clauses of this particular passage. Give thanks to the Lord. Worship Him. Exalt Him. Thank Him for the things which He has done. Call on His name. We must be a people of prayer. Uh, This is what God has called us to as a congregation from day one, that we must first be a people of prayer. What prayer does is makes us realize our reliance upon the Lord. It makes us realize that we must trust Him. We must cry out to Him. We cannot make it happen on our own. We cannot transform ourselves by ourselves. We must trust in the Lord. We must cry out to Him. And so we ask for others along with us to cry out to the Lord. Call upon His name. The third clause, which we started last week, And God, I believe, intervened and moved among us is make known his deeds among the peoples or the rightly translated way may be there in some of your versions. Make known his deed among the nations. Tell the manifold people of God about what he has done. The different cultures around the world. Tell them about the grace. Make known to them the deeds of the Lord. See, we have a responsibility as believers. This morning, there are those who are not able around the world to gather as you and I gather. You know this and I know this, but I don't think we fully grasp or realize the challenges that brothers and sisters have who worship in other places where they don't enjoy the freedoms that you and I enjoy. 
As we shared Wednesday night in our class on Jonah, one of the responsibilities, I think, of the church in this day, particularly in our culture and our country, is to prepare the people, to prepare the congregation, that what the leadership of this church must begin doing and must begin thinking about and praying about is preparing us as a people for the time, even in this country, where the church will have to go underground. Now, you may say that'll never happen here. There's other people who have said that would never happen where they are, and yet it has happened. There will come a day when Christianity will not be tolerated to preach publicly from a pulpit with the amplification that we enjoy today to know people are outside and whether they're here or not, we don't have to fear because it's okay for it to echo out. If we could open the windows, we could open the windows and we wouldn't have to fear in this place this morning. But I think there is coming a time, there is coming a time, and maybe it's not in our generation, maybe it's in our children's generation, but I think it will be sooner than that where we'll have to count the cost in a way in which we haven't had to count the cost before. And so part of what the responsibility of the church is in this day in which the Lord is moving is to prepare the people for the time when it may be necessary for us to gather underground, gather in places where people don't know, gather in smaller places, in smaller venues, gather in homes and in basements, knowing that neighbors may be listening and we may have to do so quietly. And this is why, while it is day, we must continue working. And I will never disdain someone in this day who is rejoicing in the Lord, someone who is shouting, someone who is dancing, someone who is uh, free in the Lord and lifting up their hands to Him. I will never disdain that because I know there may be a time when we have to do it. So while it is day, you and I have a responsibility. It is a sad occurrence for a brother or sister in the Lord to bow their knee to Jesus Christ, to believe in Him as Lord and Savior, to have the redemption of sins and not care about anybody else. To think, thank God I'll make it. But the rest of the world is going to hell in a handbasket. We're called to make known his deeds among the peoples, to make known his deeds among the nations. We talked last week a little bit about what that means, to make known, to have a deep personal experience. This is the idea in making known the deeds of the Lord, that it's not just us going and reciting academically what we can through the Scriptures. You see, that, that, that's exactly what the Pharisees did. Now we can poo-poo the Pharisees quite a bit because they deserved it in the time of Jesus. But what many of us may not realize is that the Pharisees started out as a movement that was eager to search after what it meant to truly be in God's presence, to follow after the Lord in the beauty of holiness, to be a holy people. That's how the Pharisees started out. And by the time of Jesus, they had corrupted themselves. It was about power. It was about authority. It was about esteem in the eyes of the world, esteem in the eyes of one another. And this is why Jesus had none of it. They had lost their first love. They had left their first love. They had left the pursuit of holiness, which they had in the very beginning. And Jesus would have none of it. That's why he continually combated them. 
because they no longer cared about the one who had gone astray, the one who was running off, the one who was caught in iniquity and sin. Their heart was no longer broken for the people that were continually in bondage under satanic attack. Their heart didn't care anymore. What they cared about was being esteemed in the eyes of the world. John the Baptist comes in the wilderness and he begins preaching a gospel of repentance. He begins preaching that there is a necessity for repentance to happen. I was a young boy when I came to know the Lord or came into relationship with the Lord. I grew up, uh, as many of you know, in the Methodist church, and I can get back to the Methodist a church about two, out, two, two miles from where I grew up, and I can continue to go down, and I can kneel at the altar rail where I kneeled at when I was probably six or seven years old and committed myself to the Lord, not fully understanding what it meant at that time, but understanding that I was in need of a Savior. And that even at that young age that there had to be a repentance of sin. I find people in our culture, in our time, in our day that I often feel like there's not a necessity for repentance. That everything is going okay with me. I have money in the bank. I have a good job. Uh, I'm esteemed and respected. What is there for me to repent of? I'm not that bad a guy. But when we come face to face with the gospel, what we have to realize is that we will never measure up. No matter how full your glass is, your glass is never full enough to measure up to the righteousness that is required by God. The only way that we get to a full glass in righteousness is through the Lord Jesus Christ. He requires perfection. Perfection is what is required. And the only way that you and I can walk in perfection is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That God himself doesn't look on you or me and our actions, but that God looks at us through the blood of Jesus Christ, which is, which is uh, the blood that has cleansed us from our sin. That is what we are cloaked. Sin, the blood of the Lord, which cleanses us from our iniquity and from our sin. When we use that phrasing, the blood of the Lord, to our culture, which is farther and farther away from a culture that understands the Scripture, when our culture hears that, they may not even understand what that means. What it means is that God Himself put on flesh. And God himself walked upon the earth and He lived in perfection. And He became the perfect sacrifice. And by God's design and by God's grace, he hung upon a tree. He himself gave his life for you and for me. That when he died, the blood that was shed by the lashes on his back, by the nails in his hands and in his feet, by the crown of thorns pressed upon his head, penalty which he took upon himself, not simply the penalty in his body, but also when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But as the, one of the songs says, the father turned his face away, which even in that understanding, that was incomparable to the beating. 
Because upon the cross, Jesus himself bore the sins of the whole world. And when we make known his deeds among the people, what we must make known is that there is a Savior whose name is Jesus who has borne your sin and my sin, that we would not dwell in them any longer. If you have truly been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, you would desire to repent of your sin. What repentance means is repentance means that we turn away from sin. If I'm heading in this direction, if I'm repenting of sin, I'm making it 180 and I'm turning in another direction. No, I'm a flawed human being. As many people are as in here, you can point out as many flaws as you see. <laughs> I make mistakes. I mess up. And I would venture to say that every single one of us are in that boat. And as we're following the Lord, yes, we may stumble. Yes, we may trip. Yes, we may fall. But I go back again and again to the scripture that says, Though a good man falls seven times, yet he will rise again. Seven being a number of perfection. Not a simple number of seven times, but an unlimited time. A good man, though he fall an unlimited amount of time, he'll get back up again and he keeps in the direction that he's going. I repent of the sin of the past. I repent on when I didn't care. I repent about the things that I did that God was displeased with. I repent about the places I went that God was displeased with. Though I stumble today, I step again and I point myself towards the Lord and I continue to seek after him and I will not let my eyes move away from the cross. I repent of the past. Repentance is necessary. We have to have that experience with the Lord to know that we have repented of our sin and of our iniquity. 1 Corinthians 1 and 23 says, we preach Christ crucified. There is a cost to our salvation. John the Baptist, as I mentioned, he preached the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And that was in order to prepare for what was to come. John himself said in Luke chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, As for me, I baptize you with water, but he is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Again, what John is saying essentially to us through the Scriptures is saying, I am calling you to repentance in order to prepare you for the fire of God that wants to come upon you. So you and I in our walk with the Lord, we must first understand and first know that we, when we first encounter the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that there is a necessity of repentance. What I'm encouraged to hear, what I'm encouraged to know is happening in these rumblings of revival or awakening or stirring or outpouring or whatever you want to label it as is that there is a sense of people repenting of sin. There's a sense of people saying, I have been an offense to God. What I have done is an offense to God, and God, I'm sorry, and I'm turning myself away from sin and unto you. Repentance. Because we can't get to the fire without repentance. We can't get to the fire of God without a change. We can't get to the fire of God without a turning from what was to a turning of what God desires for you and I. Be. We find repentance throughout Scripture. It's always part of great 
moves of God. Nehemiah cried out for repentance. Isaiah called the people of Judah to repentance in Isaiah 1. Ezekiel calls the house of Israel to repentance. In chapter 14, Jeremiah calls the Israelites to repentance. In chapter 4, Joel 2 calls the people to repentance. John the Baptist, again, was calling people to repentance. Jesus called for people to repent of their sin. Faithful preaching, making the deeds of the Lord known, must begin with an understanding that people must repent. It's not simply for the individual. Oftentimes, as I have been before the Lord and in seasons and times of repentance, of crying out to Him for forgiveness of sins and asking Him to change this heart, to turn this heart of stone into a heart of flesh, to turn this heart that at times seems to be against God, to turn it towards God. And God, help me to pursue you with everything that is within me. God, help me to pursue you with my whole being, with my affections, with my heart, with my resources, with the things that you provided. Lord, help me to pursue you with all of these things that I find within me. i think about myself and I think about the things that I've done and I repent of those things, but there is a greater understanding of repentance than just the things that I've done. There's also an understanding of repentance where a people gather together and they repent of the sins of their people. It's not simply me bowing down and repenting of my own personal sins. Oh, that's a big part of it and an important part of it that I have to recognize what I have done as an offense to God. But together as a congregation of people who are in pursuit of the Lord, we must also understand that it is our responsibility to look around us and to begin to repent of the sins of our culture, of our people, of what is happening in our community and in our city to cry out to God. We ought to first not go to the city council and bang on the desk. We ought to first bow our knee before the Lord and say, God, we repent of being in the midst of a people of unclean lips. God, we repent of what our culture has birthed. God, we repent of what is happening in our schools and what is happening in the university. God, we repent, Lord, of the times that we have contributed to it. God, we repent of the oppression of the poor. God, we repent, Lord, of turning a blind eye to what is going on in back alleys. God, we repent, Lord, of things that have been done in the name of other people and other ways and other other areas that have caused people to fall away, to turn away, to be hurt. Lord, we repent of the times that we have thought that because of the color of our skin, we're better than somebody else. God, we repent. We not simply repent for what is happening here. But we are also called as a people to repent of what has happened around here. Look at Nehemiah. What was Nehemiah doing? He had heard that the walls of Jerusalem were in a mess. They have fallen down. He's a cupbearer to the king. As a very, you know, we don't think of that as a very high position, but it was a high position for his day because he was to protect the king. He was the one who was responsible to help in the uh, the nourishment of the king and to make sure that there was nothing put in it. There was nothing there that would hurt the king. That was part of his responsibility. And Nehemiah hears through 
the, the hearing or the testimony of what's going on back in uh, Jerusalem. And what he hears is that the walls are torn down and Jerusalem's a mess. And this is the city that God has given to his people. And God has moved and everything's a mess in the city. And people are making fun and the people are saying, where's your God and what's going on? And nobody is really uh, uh, called to serve the Lord. And Nehemiah is there and he's, he's praying and he's confessing. And the scripture says he's confessing his own sin. He's crying out to God for his own sin and the own, the own lethargy of his own heart, times when he didn't care, times when he didn't think about it, times when he wasn't concerned about it. He's crying out to God, but he's not just confessing his sin. He said, God, forgive me. Forgive our people for times when we turned our back on you. Forgive our people when we turned after other gods. Forgive our people, Lord Jesus. You know, we go and I hear a lot in the pastoral circles about the debauchery and the Grammys a few weeks ago. Again, I saw a couple pictures and watched no videos, didn't want to see it, didn't want to know anything about it, other than what I kind of hear in some of the religious news. And I think, you know what? That's a product of our culture. And most of us sitting in this room probably think, that's not me. I didn't have anything to do with that. It's awful, it's horrible, it's disgusting, uh, but I didn't have anything to do with it. But it's our people. It's our people. And when there's a hardness of heart among our people, those of us who God has done a work in must cry out to him and say, God, forgive us. Forgive our people. Forgive our country, forgive the citizens of this country for packing this stuff up and exporting it around the world. Forgive us for times when we're flicking through the videos and we're giving money to Hollywood saying this one's okay, but they're using that exact money to produce this over here. Forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. We repent. We repent. And as we repent, as we cry out to God, I believe what we see happen in Scripture, as we realize this sin in which we have been willful or even unwillful participants, but we've been in the midst of a culture and we cry out to God, God, please hear us. Please hear our cry, Lord Jesus, that the Lord visits us and our guilt and our iniquity is purged. Romans 8.1 talks about whom the Son has set free is uh, free indeed, that we are free from all guilt and condemnation. So as we have repented of our sin, and I think for the believer often repentance is not just a one-time process, it's an ongoing process. God, make me more in your image today than I was yesterday. Help me to have a more uh, hungry spirit for you today, Lord Jesus, than what I did yesterday. But as repentance comes and as the grace of the Lord is poured into our heart, we are then free from guilt and condemnation. And that is what I love about this fellowship. And I love about you who are part of this fellowship, that I believe that you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And as you have repented of sin, as you have come into the fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are free. You are free to dance, the song says, free to sing. You're free to worship the Lord and lift up your hands. And that's why there's such an exuberance before the Lord at times, because we are 
free from the guilt and condemnation of the past. We will make known the deeds of the Lord and what He has done, that He has forgiven us of our sin as we have repented before Him, that now as I stand before Him in a time of prayer, in a time of confession and crying out to Him, now His grace has been poured into my life and I have a testimony that I have been forgiven. Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah's call, which we refer to quite often because it's very clear and understandable. It's a short, succinct way, and we can kind of understand what's happening in Isaiah chapter 6. It was a time of great turmoil in verse 1. He found himself in the midst of the time in which King Uzziah had died. Isaiah was friends with Uzziah, and his death was a personal challenge due to several different circumstances. And in verse 3, Isaiah has a vision of the Lord and his majesty. This is what we want the world around us to see in us, a vision of the grace of Jesus Christ at work. In verse 5, we find a recognition that as Isaiah is called up, and he sees the Lord as he looks upon the beauty of the Lord with his train filling the temple, and he sees the holiness and majesty of God. He in that moment realizes his sinfulness, and he repents, and he says, I am a man with unclean lips in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Not just me. It's also this people. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ comes at the moment of confession, the moment of crying out to God, the moment of repentance. The angel of the Lord goes to the altar of God in this heavenly vision and takes tongs from the altar, which would have been burning before the Lord, takes tongs from the altar and touches the lips of Isaiah and says, your iniquity is purged. You were at my house this afternoon, and we started up the grill, and I go grab a set of tongs, and I touch your lips with those tongs, and it burns your lips as hot coals will do. For the rest of your life, you'd probably bear the scar. For the rest of your life in your person, you'd be transformed. I would say to you this morning that in that moment when Isaiah's lips were touched, yes, it was symbolic. But at that moment of the forgiveness of the iniquity of our sin, we are forever changed. We are forever transformed in his presence. Somebody says to me at times, do you believe in once saved, always saved? No, I'm about to start a church fight right here. <laughs> I'm just going to move on. No, I'm not. Here's what I will tell you from my own personal experience. I do not have an understanding of how you can taste and see if the Lord is good and turn around. Now, theologically, you want to say, I, I can't say. But what I will say is in my own life, I have tasted his goodness. And within the realm of my mind, I cannot fathom a time period when I could not serve him. My heart has been changed. 
your heart has been changed if you are truly in his grace. Your heart has been transformed. Now, what I would say to you is make your calling and election sure. Make your calling and election sure. There are some who have come to the altar and prayed to formulate prayer and go away with false hope. I believe that. But if your affections have been set upon the Lord, it's difficult for me. Now, hear me. I'm not making a hard statement. I'm saying it's difficult for me to understand how someone can taste and see that the Lord is good and then turn their back on the goodness and graciousness of the Lord. Isaiah's purged from his sin, calling out, verses 8 and 9, not only does he realize his sin, not only is his iniquity purged before the Lord, but now there is a calling to go, a calling and a commission to go. This is your life and my life. You have a calling and commission to go, just as I have a calling and commission to go. We are to make known his deeds among the peoples and among the nations. This morning, as we were praying, we were praying for workers in the harvest in the 9 a.m. hour. Psalm 96 and 3 says, tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among the nation. God wants his fame and he wants his glory to be known among the nations, and he wants us to tell the nations of what he has done for us. Make known his deeds among the peoples or among the nations. I did a little research. <clears throat> According to what I researched, there are 17,000 people groups in the world. Estimates are that about 10,000 of those are unreached, minimally reached, or superficially reached the majority of these being in Asia and Africa. So there is a great need for mobilization of the gospel for the nations, both here at home, but also abroad. Someone who's willing to say, here I am, send me, I will go. Jesus himself said, the fields are white unto harvest, meaning there's a lot of harvest out there, a lot of opportunity out there, a lot of places to go out there, but there's not enough workers pray that God would send workers out into his harvest. This is what it means to make known his deeds among the peoples, for you and I to be carriers of the message of hope in these earthen vessels and go to the highways and to the byways, to go in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world carrying the gospel. And yes, it means that we just can't throw money at it, that some of us actually have to get up and go and do something somewhere in order to tell somebody else about Jesus. There is a responsibility. And in our culture, what we have done so often is we've been willing to throw money at it so our kids don't go after it. We're not willing to allow our kids to go on the mission field. We're not willing to allow our kids to go and tell. We're not willing to allow our kids to go and share the message of hope. But the time for that is over. The time and season, we have to strike while the iron's hot. I believe God is moving, and I believe God is calling some to send. And as I was praying about this morning's message and how we bring it to a close, we talk about young people here a lot, and I think, young people, you're here. You need to pray about a calling of God 
There's a world out there that is trying to pull you in every kind of different direction and tell you what you should do and how you should make money and put it in the bank and do this and do that and enjoy your lifestyle and give a little bit to Jesus and all that sort of stuff. And that is not what God's calling you to do. I'm telling you, that is not what God's calling you to do. But as I was praying this morning, I felt like the Lord encouraged me to make an appeal. If you're here this morning, you run a business. You own a business or run a business. You you lift your hand for me. Will you stand? You own a business, you run a business. Will you stand? I'm going to ask you to get out of your comfort zone and come to the front, please. You own a business, you run a business. I've thought about this in our congregation before. God, God has blessed us with many business owners. Here's what I'm going to ask you to think about. Business owners, not maybe universally, but generally, people who help to run businesses are risk takers. Because you realize that you've got to kind of step out make it happen and that when you got employees when you got others with you that it's up to you to make sure you got food on the table and they got food on the table but as I was thinking about you and praying for you I felt like the Lord and you have to judge it and judge it according to his word But I felt like the Lord would ask you that this afternoon, you walk home, ride home, and you would think if you haven't put one out, what's your mission statement for your business? And how does that include the gospel? God has given you an ability and a willingness to take risk for his kingdom. He's blessed you with a willingness to step out. You have young people, many of you, who work with you, or you will have as your business grows. You've got influence with other people as you interact with them. That interaction is not simply for the sake of you having a comfortable life. God blesses you by His grace to provide for all of your needs. But God also wants you to think of what He has put in your hands to make a difference for the nations. And what I'd like to encourage you to do is to sit down on a piece of paper and write out what is the mission statement that's going to help what God has put in my hand to make a difference for the nations. People who haven't heard. People who don't know. How is what is in my hands going to further the purpose of the gospel. And I want to pray with you that God would bless what you're doing. That God would move upon you and that you would have gospel clarity that every day you go to work, that everything that you do 
has a purpose in the kingdom to make known his deeds among the nations. We're going to pray for you. We're going to ask God to help you. One of the greatest generators of wealth in this country is small businesses. Now, why am I speaking to that? Because when you turn around and you look, there are those who need to be sent. Doesn't mean that absolves you of going. But there are those in this congregation who need to be sent. And the labor that they will do will be on the mission field or in the church or somewhere else. And God wants to bring the integration of his kingdom and the risks that you're willing to take, the opportunities that God has given you to be able to see that no one else is able to see. No one else has the vision to see things at times that you're able to see. You see opportunities where someone else says, hey, I'm not doing that. I mean, I'm a flighty kind of guy. Like, I don't like, I don't like risk. I try to minimize it as much as I can. Or some of you are willing to look it headlong in the face and say, I don't mind, I'm willing to jump, I'm willing to run with it. So what I think God is doing is he's speaking to you. What is your mission for what you're doing? And how will it impact the nations? How will it impact the nations? in the ploy to get you to give more or anything else. But I want you to look around you at this congregation and there are people here who need to be sent. And they need to take a risk that God is calling them to take. So I want to pray that God will bless you, that God would encourage you, that your business will be a generator change the face of this world for the glory of the kingdom. Amen. So Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, God, for your grace for these leaders this morning. People who you have called and you have gifted, people who have stepped out and taken risks. God, I pray for them that they would see the young man, the young lady. They would see the retired person who needs some extra income. They would see them as an opportunity to be able to share the message of hope, to be able to provide an opportunity, to be able to help send others on the mission field, to be able to go and take the skill and knowledge that you've given them, to go into these 10,000 unreached people groups. And to begin to say, this is how you can build something that will bless your church, that will bless the kingdom. That there would be there those who would not just take risk in this group and financial things, but they would take risk in kingdom things. That they would think of what you have placed within their hands, the grace which you have shown them the ability that you have given to them to help process and work through some of them doing every area of the business themselves from finances to marketing to research and development to other things doing it all themselves because you've given them wisdom but not just for 
this life, but for the kingdom to make your deeds known among the nations. Are there others in this congregation? Sure. Yes. You have blessed others to work in businesses. You have blessed others to have ability and understanding. Yes, yes, yes. But Lord, we pray that we would not see the single vocation that is necessary to the kingdom as that which is behind the pulpit. that you would help each and every one of us realize the part that we must play in your kingdom for mobilizing your church to go and reach the lost, to share the news with the nation, to help in some way, to use what you have given to help us support ourselves and to help work and understand problems and work them out and find solutions to them, God, that you are using those gifts, those abilities, those opportunities to make known your deeds among the nation. And that you you would be willing to help us be even greater risk takers for your kingdom. we thank you today for your grace and blessing. We thank you today, Lord, for the call to repentance. We thank you today, Lord, for the call to baptism by fire. We thank you today, Lord, for the call to go and tell, to make known your deeds among the nations. pray your blessings upon this people today. Commit ourselves to you. Thank you, Lord, for your graciousness and kindness and mercy. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. If you will, around the sanctuary, please stand with me this morning. Let's see.